0: Welcome to RetroScript's Fireside Stories Human Libraries. Today I am enjoying a simple black tea with honey and a little bit of milk. And my guest today is Ralph Robb. Ralph too enjoys a cup of black tea with sugar and milk. As you can see, he is my father, so I probably take after him. His favorite quote is, life should not be a journey to the grave with the intention of arriving safely in an attractive, well-preserved body but rather a skid in sideways, chocolate in one hand and a beer in the other, your body thoroughly used up, totally worn out and screaming, woohoo, what a ride. I love that quote as well. So Ralph is the father of four kids. He has a beautiful wife, Lisa, a dog, cat, and he lives in Burlington. Ralph, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and who you are?
1: Okay, before we go any further, right, you made a couple of mistakes there. You said that you might enjoy a cup of tea the same as yours, but you forgot to uh, let your audience know that there's a little bit of rum in this one. Okay. The only way I could speak in public is a little touch of alcohol.
0: True, author. Okay.
1: My name is Ralph Robb, father of Kimmy. Uh, at the moment in time, I am a semi retired engineer. Hopefully, I'll be fully retired by the end of June, where I'll be sitting on my ass and doing as little as possible, apart from writing. Uh, Actually, that much is not too true because I don't intend to fully retire. I do intend to do the occasional jobs here and there, just to get me out and about and just to see the world and make sure that uh, my writing stays current and doesn't lag behind in time. That's basically who I am. Mm
0: Perfect. So as you said, Ralph, you're an author, you traveled the world for your work, and you've seen a lot, you've experienced a lot. But what I want to do is go back in time to when you were a child living in England, because that's where you're born and where you were raised. So what was life growing up, like growing up in England? And what was going on during those 70s and 80s?
1: Let me take it a little step further back before I explain to you, or try to explain what life was like for me growing up in England. I'd like to take you back to when my parents first came to England as uh, immigrants. Mm -hmm. Now, mom and dad came to England uh, in the late 1950s. Uh, They hadn't met at the time, they actually met whilst they were in England. Now, they came from very rural, poor rural background where it would be alien to the likes of me or you to to try to to try and live the, the, the lifestyle in which they had. But they did try to explain it to me as the best they can. And obviously, uh, at the, the earlier age, or at right, love, it just went into one year after the other. It wasn't until I've, I was in my uh, midlife life that I sat down and tried to consciously think how difficult it must have been for them uh, coming over from uh, Jamaica to England at that particular time in history. Now, the closest uh, I could actually come to telling you what their life was like would be to equate them to the uh, migrant workers, which we have here in the rural parts of Canada, that that come in, uh, live in squalid conditions, do the hard work in which the uh, the the, natural natural born. English wouldn't, didn't want to do and at the end of that period of time, uh, they went back to Jamaica. Only difference is that with my parents, they did not go back to Jamaica. They, they came to for a better life and they to settle and to improve their life in England. Uh, Dad did show me one of, these live, one of the living residents he had to uh, endure when he first came over to England. It was a it was in a rundown part of Wolverhampton, the town in which I was born. Mm-hmm. Uh it was a house in which there was at least what 15, 20 people living at that particular time. My father used to say he used to share a bed with a stranger from Jamaica that he did not know from Adam. Now, whilst my father was working the night shift, the guy uh would be sleeping in the bed. And vice versa, when my father came from work, he had to wait for the guy to get up so he could get into the bed to sleep. That was just a slight uh, analogy of the conditions they used to live in. Parents were uneducated as the schooling back in in those days in Jamaica was very limited. That's not to say my parents were stupid or ignorant. It just simply means that they did not have the opportunity to engage in the education system. Which we have today. Now, one one point of which used to upset my father greatly was that we had all this we had all this system put in place to educate us and he hated to see when young kids uh, neglected yeah. or abused. The fact that I had this wonderful system to be able to push through to to enable them to learn, which was all free. He couldn't get over that. So he just couldn't understand kids messing about and not taking full advantage of that. That's
0: crazy. Yeah. I can see why he'd be frustrated for sure. I mean, he'd never had those opportunities and now people are squalering him away. Like, it makes sense.
1: Yeah, it, it, it's, 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 we, every generation does the same thing to a certain point. Because I remember saying that to you guys you can't be wasting this education system you got now. You can't be wasting your life because what you waste now, you will not catch up later on. It's just natural, the parental, uh parents think, behavior. Now, my school, early schooling days, was very, very, very difficult. Uh, if it was today, I would be, I'm sure I'd be on that ADD medication, which they give kids. But at the time, there was no such thing. The ADD medication at the time was clipped around the head or sent into the corner or somewhere. Now, I, at a very early age, I used to have difficulty in learning, and I used to be compared to my sister Sandra, which is a couple of years younger than me. Now, she was naturally gifted, and she was at the head of her class in everything, and I mean everything. Whereas with me, I was probably stuck at the back somewhere, crayon stuck, stuck in one nose, <laughs> a, paper, a glue brush in my mouth, <laughs> in the other hand. But. That was just me growing up it was, it was straight because at the age of around 11 or 12 everything just seems to become a lot easier and i was able to understand uh, what i was trying to be taught it was though somebody had just turned a jigsaw puzzle the right way up so i could see all the pictures i could see all the uh, the background and that way instinctively i knew how the pieces go together but before that the jigsaw puzzle was upside down and I hadn't a clue how to relate to the, uh, the learning process at the time. Once I, I, once I sussed that out, learning became easy and I excelled.
0: That's awesome. It's an interesting way to put it because I know that there's a lot of kids in school that they don't learn a certain way or they learn differently. And I've heard them say something similar to you where they just can't see, they can't see the full picture, so they don't understand it. Some, yeah. Interesting I wonder why that is, and what it is. One,
1: of the, and one of the interesting points as well is that coincidentally, that change around in my understanding of learning coincided with us moving from a very, very poor urban area to a more middle class area where there wasn't such the strife and the struggles as I used to have at a, in living in a very poor area. Mm-hmm. And then we moved to the better area. Uh, everything became a lot easier, had time to sit down, had time to reflect, had time to do my homework, in other words, okay? Because I know you're probably thinking, oh, where's my parents? And all this? Shouldn't they be helping me to do my homework? Dad was working his ass off, so was mom. So so a lot of the uh, upbringing we had to do ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. But as I said, right, it became a lot easier when we moved. And once the schooling became a little bit better and everything started to make sense.
0: I guess that just speaks as well to the amount of work that you actually have to do as a child, with living in such a lower, um, poor area. Like there's other things, other factors that probably came into it, right? That you were kind of thinking about,
1: definitely. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Now, growing up in the my early childhood at the time right, was a lot of time on the streets. i say on the streets. I don't mean when You hear on the streets today, you think of gangs, etc. 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 No, on the streets to me at that particular time, I was hanging out with friends. I used to play a tremendous amount of time playing soccer or cricket. Occasionally, we used to play rugby and we used to just hang out and chat with friends, just doing what young boys doing, getting to mischief. Uh, that was. That was normal and that was probably the best time uh, in my life I enjoyed my my childhood thoroughly just the fact that especially during the school holidays where you had you didn't have to uh, get up to go to school the next day we just used to make the most of what we had
0: yeah,
1: yeah. There, was a, there was a there was a fair amount of violence at the time you don't have poor areas without a, without a lot of violence it goes hand in hand people are struggling kids are rougher. Uh, everybody's trying to make their mark or trying to find an edge to get forward. And one of the consequences of that is, is violence and bullying. And that was extreme when I was growing up. Now, I was bullied, and I certainly <laughs> did my own fair share of bullying. I ain't gonna lie. It was just a way of life. And it was also a way of uh, determining a certain pecking order. Okay. Which is I Kane, I think he's part of... Uh, human nature. I'm not saying that uh, bullying should be accepted. It's understand it should be tolerated, it should be stamped out because, although it does create some sort of pecking order, it easily, very, very easily, spills over into abuse. Yes, yeah.
0: definitely. How yeah. did that impact your life? Like, how did that change what you were doing in your life?
1: There's, there's, there's all the part of bullying as well, which I, which I haven't mentioned yet. Uh, there was, a t- there was a certain amount of racial violence at the time, but the racial violence system weren't, weren't brought about by people who were actually living in, in that community. It was more so from the outside. I had, a, I had a multitude of friends of all different nationalities, but the racial violence which, we, which I was subjected to came from people, from not from our area, who come in to our area to cause trouble. Okay? Whether it was uh, football fans, because football fans at the time in England was a major problem. Mass street fights. Again, from people coming from other parts of the country into the area, creating problems. If they see a young black kid right there, they would attack the black kid under the name of uh, racial, whatever racial hang they've got. Mm-hmm. Where, in, where in, in effect it was probably just football
0: Hooligans or whatever.
1: Hooligans trying to find somebody to vent their anger on.
0: Yeah.
1: I mean, How did it affect my life? Oh, well, later on I got I was very good at running. And obviously the violets are right. No nobody could catch me, especially knowing the area where I where I'm from when I knew which gardens to run down to escape, which alleyways, which fence jumps off which fence to jump over would lead to, another garden which lead to another alley. I just couldn't record because I just knew the area too well. But after a period of time, you just got fed up of running. Oh, when you get on, I'm not going to be running anymore. So I I did take up karate as one of the means of defending myself uh, when when I got cornered or whatever.
0: Mm -hmm. Interesting. You could have gone a different direction, though. Like, thinking back, or listening to what you're saying and thinking back, you could have easily become one of those men that was, I'm sure there was some sort of gangs in the area and stuff like that.
1: That wouldn't have happened? No. No? That wouldn't have happened.
0: Would that have been because of your parents and the way that they raised you? It's
1: funny, right? I often hear people say that you've got to increase uh, uh, court sentences to to prevent these people from thinking that they should do this crime or that crime. That makes no difference whatsoever. Whether the crime is a dollar fine or you're in prison, right? As a young man, right, the way young men think, they're going to do it. Mm -hmm. My biggest... uh, my biggest uh, war for me to uh, from c- for me committing crime were my parents.
0: Yeah.
1: I have often thought when the opportunity came for me to do something wrong, I would think, what would my parents think? And there's no way I was gonna I'd imagine my parents, my mother in particular breaking down and crying if if the police came to the door saying I did X, Y, and Z. And I thought myself, there's no way I'm gonna do this crime and put my parents, particularly my mother, through this this aggravation just because I wanted to get a quick. Fix or money or whatever. I just ain't gonna do it. Yeah. I feel
0: like that speaks to your character, definitely.
1: Yeah, I'm not gonna put my parents through that, and see my parents struggle, see my all the struggle my parents have been through for me to go and throw it all away by committing a minor minor crime. Mm-hmm. I ain't gonna do it.
0: So then you ended up many years later moving to Canada. So how did your childhood and what you went through as a child kind of impact how you raised your kids? I mean, there was a lot of fighting, there wasn't as many opportunities and everything. So I guess, why did you move to Canada and how did it impact your kids?
1: I moved to Canada basically for financial reasons. At that time, the, the, the political system in England, right, wasn't what I would have wanted my kids to grow up, grow up in. Uh-huh. It wasn't particularly bad. It's just that I did not want my kids to grow up in that type of environment. Now, I started karate, as I said uh, before, uh, and I like, reached the level of a black belt. I actually went on to represent England at the under-21 level. In order to get to that stage, you have to go through quite a bit of a discipline, disciplinary uh, program where you actually have to train, you have to push yourself to do this, you have to move to the next, push yourself to move to the next stage, put yourself through a certain amount of hardship just to get to the goal of where you want to go. Mm-hmm. Now, I brought that mentality with me when I moved to Canada and with you guys. I wanted you guys to do the best and I actually introduced you to you and Jared into martial arts, which I hope to be, I hope would help form your character, which it did. The disciplinary side of it. Uh, what was the question again? It was yeah. just how did your childhood
0: impact uh, how you raised your kids?
1: I just answered it.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I agree, like the martial arts, I, I often talk about my martial arts journey and my uh, career and everything like that. And I think that was one of the centering kind of focuses on what made me who I am and what pushed me. And obviously the fighting helped in certain situations when I had to fight, but it was the discipline.
1: That I really remember. Yeah, you have to be disciplined. And one great thing, which a lot of people neglect to mention about martial arts or not just martial arts, but a sporting program as such for kids, is that it teaches you how to be humble to a certain extent. It teaches you how to uh, win gratitude and also how to, more importantly, how to lose. You have to know how to lose, not just to win.
0: And I, it's funny, that just brought up a memory in my mind, one of the kickboxing fights I was in, and I can remember the girl kicked me in the head, and I lost. And I, I don't know if I'd ever lost before that, because it was such an early age, but I was crying, and you like kind of looked at me, and you said that that's going to happen again. Why are you crying for you went out there, you fought, and you didn't kind of make me feel bad for losing. I don't even know if you brought up the fact that I lost, but you made me understand that exactly. it's going to happen.
1: You, you did something many kids wouldn't have done or couldn't have done. Yeah. You went out there, you did your best. Most important, you lost. What you're crying for? Yes. You just learn from your loss. Is to just move on?
0: That was a huge. Just move
1: factor on, applied heard. applied to uh, your next challenge in life. Okay, and do the best you can.
0: Exactly. And that's what I appreciate. I like that about martial arts, definitely. And about sports in general, if you understand that aspect of it, definitely.
1: Yeah. No, there's nothing wrong in having a, a, what's it called when everybody gets a medal for participating? it's, a oh,
0: it's just a participation badge or pen. Okay,
1: or there's nothing wrong with that, right? Uh, at an early age, just to get kids involved in the sport. But I do believe that later on, right, you need to have winners and losers. Okay, and you need to, you need to learn how to win You need to learn how to lose. Simple. That's the way life is, right? It is the way life is. If you can't handle it at that stage, you ain't going to handle it when you reach reaching a, a young man or a young woman.
0: Makes sense. Makes sense, definitely. So you've moved to Canada now. Um, did you start writing right away or did that just kind of fall into your lap later oh,
1: No, 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 no. I started writing actually when I was in England. Oh, okay. Not, not, not seriously. A very good friend of mine who I grew up with, he was originally from Ireland. And he moved back when I in my mid-twenties. But to keep in touch, we didn't have the internet or cell phones or whatever back then. The only way to keep in touch would be writing. Now, I used to write a few uh, funny stories, etc. of life as I found it in England. And funny stories in which happened to certain people which we both knew. And I used to send them to him. Now, he used to find them that amusing. He would read them to his guests at dinner. And one day he says, "Well, why not just start writing properly and putting it into proper, formatted properly and structure it?" And he would help me to do that. Mm-hmm. And that's how I, that's what put me on the path of writing. And up to this day, right, he's still my editor because he he would be brutally honest. If it's going down the wrong path, there's no qualms in him taking me by the shoulder and saying, "That's the way you want to go. You do not want to go that way." Yeah.
0: That's a perfect partnership right there. Someone that's actually brave enough to stand up for you, definitely. Yeah interesting so that creativity because if you're an engineer from what we hear the stereotype is that en- ma- engineers is very mathematical and kind of logical so where does that creativity for you come from
1: I don't know I don't think everybody does certain amount of creativity in them they it just it's just that you, uh, whether you want to apply it or not that's completely up to you yeah. uh, you say creativity and engineer don't uh, it's two separate things. It's not very often the same thing. Okay, one's based in a mathematical uh, origins, okay? But if you're gonna design something, if you're gonna, uh, uh, how shall I put this? You got a problem, you're gonna design something to overcome that problem. It does take a certain amount of creativity as well. Definitely. When you're speaking to people, uh, how to use a particular machine, how you're gonna, whether or not it's, uh, uh, instruct them on the, on the manual or physically show them how to do it it still takes creativity yep. everything but a lot of things you do you think you just do it through automatically yeah all the creativity involved
0: definitely it's interesting how you apply that to different areas of your life for sure hmm. so did you here's a two-parter question did you always want to become a writer and do you consider yourself an author because i know a lot of people that write and publish stories don't i,
1: I had no author. idea i did not want to <sighs> I didn't even think about becoming a writer when I first started. It was just something I did to communicate with my friend in Ireland what was happening back in England. Mm-hmm. Uh, the closest I ever came to uh, being some sort of an author, right, was comic books. I was a comic book fanatic when I was a kid. And I used to try and draw pictures and put little stories to them, but it was not—it was nonsense. I didn't have that skill. I couldn't draw for a start. I might have been able to put a storyline together, but I couldn't draw, so it was just nonsense. So my idea of becoming an author, right, was was the furthest thing away from my mind. Yeah. Do I consider myself an author today? No, I just don't, because I—I I, consider myself more of a storyteller. Yeah, I've got a story in my mind, and the only way to convert that, transfer that story from A to B, or from me, my head to your head, is through the written form. So I have to do that, not to get that story do you. Yeah. Now, maybe in the future when we start when we start uh, communicating telepathically, <laughs> on won't need the, the books and such. But at the moment, the only way to get that story through is for me to put it down on the paper. And even then, I find it difficult because my command of English, you could probably hear, is not that great. Or well, I don't think it's that great. But once I start putting the story down on paper, things tend to become a little easier. And it's not finite. Uh, me speaking to you is is almost finite. What I say at this moment in time, right, is what you hear and what it's what registers in your head. Whereas put on paper, I could go back and change it over and over and over again until I get it right, and then. I could hand it to somebody else to edit it for them to put their little bit of a spin in to correct my mistakes. So that part of the writing is, is, is easier for me to, uh, to try and relay my ideas over yeah. to you.
0: That's very interesting. That's a good point. And I guess furthering that, someone that's reading your writing interprets it differently depending on what, they, uh, what they're going through in their life. And actually in one of the classes I just taught, we were talking about that, how you can read a book today and interpret it one way but we can read it two years from now and to interpret it in a totally different way depending on what's going on in your life. It all,
1: it all depends on that moment in time what you're going through that's and right. how you perceive life.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. Very, very interesting. Hmm. So tell me a little bit about your books and why you wrote them. Um, I know the one that you're really pushing right now that you've just re-released was Memoirs of a Karate Fighter.
1: Yeah, so, tell me a well, bit. The Memoirs of a Karate Fighter is probably the most difficult book uh, overwritten, but I'm a very private person. I don't like people to know my private life. And in order to write a memoir, you have to get a certain amount of your life, put certain amount of your experiences into that book. (laughs) Uh, Very good, close friend of mine, cousin of mine, uh, which she's mentioned quite quite a lot in the book, uh, committed suicide. And trying to put that side of it down in the book was extremely difficult. I didn't. I didn't want to go back to such painful times, but obviously I had to for the book. Uh, but in the long term, it did make it a better book. Did make the better book, and also uh, it, it it helped to pull out in me to explain what life was like back then.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Were there no. Id- sorry? No, carry on. Were there any hidden meanings in
1: your book? Or I know you talked about your- Well, I don't think I wrote a book with hidden meanings as such. Fun, I should say that. Uh, the one I'm working on at the moment with my wife, Lisa, there are a few hidden meanings, but up until this point, right? There were no hidden meanings. I, uh, I just wanted to relay what I just, whether it was crime or mystery or whatever, I just want to relay what was what was happening at the time? What was in my head? What I perceived the book to be about? As the hidden meanings, that didn't come into it until now.
0: Interesting, very interesting. Um, so, who inspires you when you write? Does anyone, or is it just a retelling, like you said, retelling of the story?
1: There's lots of things that inspire me. Every now and again, right, I come up against a roadblock where I just think, oh, I can't go any further with this. It's just not making any sense. It's stupid. It's juvenile or whatever, I just can't do it anymore. Put it to one side, end the story. I'm not going to bother with that, it's nonsense. And one of the things that inspired me to, rip, to pick it back up and carry around, believe it or not, is music. Is music, been, uh, I, like what, I like listening to music, I like listening to watching music videos. Now, my musical skills are zero. When I mean zero, it's less than zero, it doesn't exist. And I often watch these music videos, listen to the music, and I'm in total amazement of how they could put the words, the lyrics, to the music, or is the music to the lyrics? Uh, It just baffles me. And then once they've got, once they've mastered that, they've got to move on to the the video, put the video to the music, and the video to the audience. Now, to me, that's a huge, massive, complex Mm -hmm. undertaking. Now, if you could get a bunch of people working together to to uh, achieve this, surely I could put a few words on the pay a piece of paper.
0: Yeah.
1: That often Paul gets me to pull back the paper, review it again, cross out all the crap, and start putting new words down to take a different direction. That's
0: an interesting. Music,
1: music, music is a massive uh, a, a push for me to get done the right, the way I wanted it to be done. Interesting, very cool.
0: So let's switch gears just a little bit now. Um, The world today is not the world it was when you were growing up, or maybe it is. I don't know what your opinion on that is. But when people look at you and they see you, I know that you're this comic book nerd who's an engineer, loves writing and is soft hearted, all those kinds of things. But when people look at you, they see a large black male. That's Mm -hmm. what I perceive people would see. How does that impact your life?
1: It doesn't. Whatever they want to think right, that's their problem. That's not my problem. And I'm not going to change the way I think, the way I look, make myself smaller, make myself less aggressive because it's a, it, it's uh, intimidating to somebody. That's not my problem. That's their problem.
0: And has that ever impacted your self-esteem or maybe the way that you write or the way that,
1: like that kind of stuff? A little bit. Yeah. A little bit. A little bit. Well, that statement I just said about it, being their problem, right? It is their problem, but it's not totally true uh, when I say it didn't affect me. It did affect me, even though it was their problem.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: affected me to this, to such I how shall I put this? I knew that I was too intimidating towards certain people, mm-hmm. okay, and I did not want to be intimidated to that particular person. But the majority of the time I just went out, did my own thing, didn't care. It was intimidated the surgeon. But there's one occasion where I was waiting for an elevator, and it came. At a, I can't remember where it was. And it pulled up, and there was this white, uh, middle-aged white lady inside. Mm-hmm. Now I could immediately tell that she looked at me and thought, "Oh, <coughs> okay." She was kind of intimidated. But rather than going into the elevator, I told her. I was, I was going down where she was going, open all the way for the next one. Because I didn't want to put through that sort of intense fear. I know it's like to be, I know it's like to be put on, the, to be in fear when, when i being chased by a racist or whatever, as a kid to be beaten up. I just didn't want to put her in that sort of a situation. So I just took the next one uh, Should I have got on and started talking and being friendly just to show her that I, we're not all the same as the stereotypes, I don't know but that's just a decision I made at that time.
0: Yeah. And that's probably something, you don't know what the outcome could have been if you- I have no idea what
1: the outcome could have been. It yeah. could have been fantastic, who knows? Probably would have been uh, very cordial, very, uh, what's the word? Friendly? Friendly.
0: Yeah. yeah. It's interesting that you say that because I can remember as a kid, there were actually several different situations. I don't even know if you noticed them, but being a kid, I think that you look at things through a different eye and a different kind of thinking, but I never saw you as intimidating or this big guy or anything like that. Obviously you were big, but that's not the way I perceived you to be, but we were walking down the road a couple of times and I noticed either people cross over or I noticed people kind of shrink away a little bit. And that's when I kind of came to the realization of what being black was. And I didn't actually even realize, I don't know if you know this, I didn't realize I was black until we were in grade three and I vividly remember someone telling me, looking in the mirror and being like, holy crap. Like, I just didn't know. Like, it didn't click in my kid yeah. brain that that's like what was. kid
1: basically innocent. until later that they are influenced or corrupted or whatever by your adults. Exactly. Yeah.
0: I think that was probably a good way that you, the way you were living your life and you just didn't care what people think. That's probably why I didn't even realize it. Then yeah. once I realized it, that's when I started seeing things. The people shrink away, and I don't know. I think it's your size as well that people just kind of got nervous.
1: But. And the other thing, which I really dislike as well, is that uh, people, such as myself, right? Not, not myself, but people who built like me or whatever, they carry that. They carry that stereotype. They sometimes they can use it to their advantage. Well, not advantage, but to intimidate people. That's their size, yeah. yeah. Walk down the road, you know. Watching people, you know, move out of the way because they could because they force them to do that or because they could make them do that. That, to me, is wrong. Yeah. That, to me, is wrong. It's, it's another form of bullying.
0: Definitely. And it's interesting because you use your martial arts, and I remember you always telling us that if we ever fought outside of the ring or outside of the gym or anything, that'd be it. We'd be done. We're not going to do it anymore. If
1: yeah. you're going to do it in the form of bullying without yeah. being actually a self-defense situation, Right? that'd be it. You'd okay. be done with yeah.
0: that also speaks to your I think your blackness and your size as well because I in my mind I'm imagining that you didn't want people to kind of get that idea or the wrong view of us right growing yeah. up. so that yeah. comes out for the discipline in martial arts as well for sure yeah
1: because taking that as you said fighting outside the uh the gym or outside the ring or whatever uh bullying it's it's it's, it's part of being it's part of it's, it's part of uh so coming to the stereotyping. Yeah.
0: yeah. So today, with everything that's going on in the world, there's the Black Lives Matters, so is that everything's kind of blowing up and coming to a head. Does this make you try to make yourself look a little smaller or shun away from the attention of it all? Or do you just keep living your life as you are? And...
1: I just keep living my life as it is. I, what I do is not going to influence that. Yeah. Just keep, keep living the way I do. Uh, Black Lives Matters is something I greatly believe in, but I don't like the way it's been hijacked mm-hmm. by by certain groups to to push forward some other agendas, uh, which I don't agree with. Uh, and also, and a lot of people see those agendas being added onto it, right? Agendas which they might not necessarily agree with, and class everything as the same. Yeah, no, that
0: definitely makes sense. And I've heard
1: somebody else talk
0: about that as well. Yeah. Interesting. All right, so life today for you. Mm-hmm. Who are you today? I know that you're going into retirement. Are you going to continue with your writing? Uh, what do you see for your future?
1: Yes, I definitely intend to carry on with my writing. Um, I, I, my future, I would love to be in a rural situation, mm-hmm. plenty of fishing, a little bit of gardening to take care of. Uh, I do watch a little bit too much TV. <laughs> I got a little bit of that. I like watching the news just to see what's happening around the world and see what what this thrice and tribulations people are going through. Uh, We'll continue to write. We'll continue to work occasionally when I find the urge of money running out or whatever. Okay, because we all have to work. Uh, I'm trying, I'm doing a little bit of color, I can't pronounce this word when I'm trying to do words collaboration. Yeah. As you know. Collaboration with my wife writing a book. I also want to do a little bit of collaboration with you as well. Mm-hmm.
0: That's interesting. In my mind, I kind of see you living like on a semi-farm without the animals and the work, just sitting writing because you seem like a very laid-back, just wanting to get your words on paper kind of person. So that's interesting. Yeah, um, that's,
1: that much is true. There's a lot of daydreaming, a lot of thinking, a lot of uh, musing and how Life could have been if I hadn't done A, B, or C. Uh, thinking of other, thinking of other people, uh, especially poorer people, the struggles they go through. Uh, I love nature, and I hate the way it's part of it is being destroyed to make profit. Which to me is total ass backwards, but that's the way it is. Yeah.
0: So if you were looking back to younger Ralph, and you wanted to maybe give him a little bit of education or a little pointer on where he should be going,
1: what would that be? Oh, where should he be going? Mm. Uh, my biggest thing I'd say, don't take life too seriously. I know as a young person, I used to take things too seriously. Uh, if somebody slighted me, I would, you know, it would play in my mind for a while, you know, especially being a young guy, he, that revenge aspect comes into it. No, life isn't like that. Say somebody says, someone says something off cuff, eh, let it go. Unless it's really bad, or it's, there's uh, physicality towards it, just let it go. Uh, don't work too hard. I used to work a heck of a lot, of way too many hours thinking that money is everything. And I have to do that for the kids to get, to progress the way i to them to progress. Very often take a back seat Money is important, but it's not as important as the way you raise your kids. It's not as important as actually spending time with your kids. Now, I made a few mistakes with you guys. Uh, I'm not ashamed to admit it. And I trying to make, not make amends, but make sure that you don't make those mistakes with your child Mm -hmm. and also for me to play a part in your child's life, helping to raise her.
0: I've definitely noticed that that's a great point actually and i almost feel like that's something that comes with age as well i used to like and i think i mimic you a lot more than i actually thought now that we talk a lot more but i never realized i was used to work 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 i gotta pay my bills i gotta do this gotta do that and i think it was probably you that was like yo slow down that's not the most important thing and now having freya and i my life and here I much would rather be with her, spending time, and I see like the impact that me being there has on her versus if I'm locked in this office working. Right. So it's yeah. interesting. Yeah.
1: One of my biggest regrets, although we moved moved to Canada when you guys are fairly young, was uh, taking you away from your grandparents,
0: mm-hmm.
1: my parents, because that's so much which you could you guys could have learned from them. There's so much wisdom that only grandparents could actually pass over. Okay. Uh, it's, it's It's hard to put into words. Yeah. They grandparents have been through the struggles they've seen in life and they, they could actually a perfect way to help you understand the relationship you have with your daughter and also help you to understand the relationship in the world because yeah. they've, been they've been through it. They're at the other end. They're at the other end where they could look back and see all the important things all the crap which you don't need to pay attention to. Now I, was, I, you come across to a kind of such a great age. I took that away from you, mm-hmm. knowing your grandparents.
0: Definitely. No, I
1: won't do that with their uh, Freya. I want to be as much as part of their life as possible.
0: Definitely, that makes sense. And there's wisdom with age,
1: right? And that's what I
0: believe in. Like a little
1: bit time. time. Well, a few people my age, there is no wisdom whatsoever. There's a have of been caught in a time warp where they exactly think the same way is when they were 20 or 30 if you go through life like that 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 30 years you've just gone through thinking exactly the same way today as back then you have just wasted
0: definitely that makes sense well that's all the questions i had for you is there anything you want to leave your listeners listening to obviously i'm going to be um, putting up your information so they can get in touch with your website and find out more about your books and your life but is there anything you want to leave
1: I just want to apologize for stumbling on certain words and not making myself as clear as possible. As I said earlier, me giving interviews is totally alien and I'm not comfortable in doing them. I'm much more comfortable sitting down, putting my ideas on a piece of paper where they tend to flow a lot freer. Coming from my mouth, I tend to uh, come across roadblocks. But if you could get through what I'm trying to say and you could, and it makes a mark, Great.
0: Yep, that's a good point. Actually, a lot of you people that come on and do this uh, recording and a lot of people that I speak to that are writers and authors say the exact same thing. But this is the uh, your story. Like that's what the beauty of storytelling is. To me, I don't care how a person says it. Because of the places I've worked in long term care homes and hospitals and everything, I don't care about how the words come out of your mouth. All I that is
1: that It could be one of the reasons why people start writing or become authors because they have a, they have a problem and to, say, to say it orally. So putting it down on paper becomes easier and it forces them or pushes them into that direction. Definitely. Definitely.
0: It's yeah. a good point. Well, thank you for joining me. This has been fantastic. For everybody that's listening, look either above or below. You'll find Ralph's contact information. Check out his books. I'm a little biased, but they are amazing. And I hope you guys listen and enjoy this recording. Bye for now.
1: Thank you all.